Hello and welcome to this Erwin Mitchell podcast. We're here to keep you up to date with legal and financial news that matters to you. My name is Zara Fabani and I'll be in the hot seat today. We're delighted to welcome Maggie Cork on the podcast today as our guest speaker. Maggie's a psychologist and company director at her own business, which is Maggie Cork and Associates. I'm also joined today by Sarah Balfour, who, like myself, is a family lawyer, and Emma McCann, a tax, trust and estate specialist here at Irwin Mitchell. Now, together, we're going to try and have an in-depth discussion on all things surrounding divorce in later life. We're going to have a special and particular focus on the impact that comes with separating much later on in life and how, in those situations, you need to protect yourselves legally, financially and emotionally. So thank you to everyone for joining me today. And before we really kick off and get stuck in, I'd like to start with a little bit of an icebreaker. So, Maggie, to you first. 2020, it's been a real strong, difficult year for people. And as we begin to enter into these last few weeks of this unprecedented year, um, hopefully we're looking forward to the festive period. If you could do one thing this year, or maybe you have already done one thing this year to keep you upbeat, positive and in good spirits, what would it be and why? Good morning, Zara. It's very good to be here on this podcast with, with you all. My, my key theme would be stay connected. Uh, at a time of isolation, it's so, so important to remain connected to our friends and our family, even if we can't see them. And it's almost like our insurance policy for when life throws fastballs at us or unmitigated disaster. Connection is key. Thank you, Maggie. That's really powerful and so incredibly important. Sarah, same question to you. What have you done or what are you going to do? So, um, Maggie, I, I completely agree with you about, about staying connected and, and keeping up that connection. Um, I think also for people who are with family members um, and you're all under the same roof and you've got all of these additional pressures I just think it's also important to take some time for yourself and one of the things that I think I'm going to try to do in the run-up to Christmas it, it is perhaps put a little bit of time in my diary just for me and spend some time focusing on myself which sounds terribly luxurious but I think is also important um, it, it, it's very important to forget that actually you're able to look after people better after you focused on yourself for a little while. Sarah, I totally agree with you. Me time is what keeps us sane and what makes us almost better at our job, better parents, better spouses. I totally agree with you. Emma, what about you? So mine follows on a bit from what Sarah just said, actually, because I think it's um, I get an awful lot from keeping active. So whether that be going to the gym like I'm doing at the moment or when we couldn't go to the gym, doing Zoom sessions with my my trainer in the gym, doing yoga, that sort of thing, going out for a walk or running, um, just to keep that going. Because I just feel so much better from getting a bit of exercise and switching off for half an hour um, when you particularly when you're confined to the house a lot more of the time. Just think it makes a massive difference. Emma, I couldn't agree more. Thank you all so much for that. In terms of my uh, answer to that, uh, for those who are listening today, I've actually, I'm going to be honest with you, hit a wall in terms of my resilience recently. So I have been thinking, what can I do to change it up? And I get a lot, as we all do, from giving. 
So what I've done this morning, actually, is to Google what I can do in terms of volunteering in my neighbourhood, because I really feel the need to give something back. And actually, I've had some me time. I've done the exercise. I've stayed connected. But I think I need to stop thinking about me and I need to think about others a little bit more. You know, your world gets a bit smaller, doesn't it, with your family? So I'm going to start doing some volunteering and we'll see where that goes. Thank you all for that this morning. Now, let's get back to why we are here today. We're talking about, we're really talking about divorce in later life, as well as planning in later life and why things in later life can be more difficult, more traumatic and what you need to do. Now, Maggie, you and I have worked in this divorce space for a long time together. We've referred clients to each other. And for people who have been together a really long time, so whether it be 10, 20, 30 years, if they are then hit with a divorce, it can be particularly devastating. The world as they know it falls apart completely. Now, what would you say are the key things that affect the mature client who is going through a divorce? And what can they do from an emotional point of view to protect themselves? Uh, this is such an important question, Zara, and, and particularly important to discuss what people can do to protect themselves. Because whilst none of us would like to think that something like that's going to suddenly hit us, actually, when it does, we really do need to be prepared. And with many of the clients that we have worked, in, you know, jointly on that you've referred to me, I've referred to you. One of the key things has been that literally, as you said, all of a sudden their world has fallen apart. And when they look around, there isn't anything to sustain them or nothing really of substance. And, and in many ways, you know, at the moment, for example, I'm working with quite a significant number of people who've had sudden bereavements. And I've got a number of people who are contemplating divorce and or going through divorce. Uh, I've also got folk who have had it thrust upon them. And the, whilst I wouldn't want to sound as though I'm totally categorizing people, for somebody where a divorce has come out of the blue, they didn't know that their partner had been having an affair for 20 years. They didn't know that their partner had fallen out of love with them when the children left home six years ago. Or whatever the reason is, when it's happened suddenly, it is like a sudden bereavement. It, it, you know, there is a huge amount of loss. There will be anger, for sure. But anger is also an integral part of grief, which comes with a bereavement. And, you know, one might say, well, how on earth can you, you predict that? If you thought you'd been happily married for 25, 30, 40 years and you did not see this on the horizon and it suddenly hit you, how can you be prepared? And I guess my answer partly links to my, my answer to you in the icebreaker kind of opener in that actually if we keep connections in our lives that are for us, linking back to what Sarah was saying, that if we keep a mindset that is about being active and engaged with our world, linking with what Emma was saying, then we've got purpose in and of ourselves. We've got a sense of ourselves as an individual human being not a sense of ourselves as someone who's dependent on or interdependent with somebody else. And it's the folk for whom I've got a gentleman who I spoke with literally yesterday, whose life has fallen to bits. He said that his wife was his world. And now she's no longer there. He has no sense of purpose. Um, life has to have purpose for us as individuals outside of any relationships we're in. And so being connected to the world outside, being connected to friends, having interests of our own is crucial. But actually the reconciliation 
Um, one of the crucial things has been that he has done what his partner asked of him. He's got interest outside of the relationship. And now what he brings back is a sense of an enriched life, uh, renewed interest and vigour, therefore, in his own life, and, and therefore something new that he can bring to the relationship. So staying connected is a really protective factor in our lives. Everything you said is so important, Maggie, um, incredibly important for those people, and, and we understand it as much as you do. And now, Sarah, coming to you, I've actually launched straight into talking about the mature client and divorce in later life. But what I haven't done for the people listening is actually define an age group. I mean, what age group are we talking about? We don't want to offend anybody, but let's be clear here. Who are we talking about? And why, Sarah, is it legally more problematic if you're going to divorce at a later stage in your life? Yeah, so that's that's a really good question, Zara. Um, and in many ways, I'm going to duck it slightly because I don't like putting a particular age on it. You know, you're, you're only you're only as old as, as you feel. So for me, it's less about a mathematical age and more about a stage that you've reached in your life. Um, and people reach that particular stage at, at, at different at different ages. So when I'm talking about later life, it would be the stage where you have um, assets that you've accumulated or you have children or you have had a significant period of your life within a relationship and you feel that you're in a settled position. For many people that can come that stage, they are at an age where, for example, their children are leaving for university. For me, that's, that's a stage and that can often be a catalyst for, for a separation, um, that sort of empty nest syndrome. Um, so those are the sorts of clients where they are looking for um, to the future. In terms of you asked why it's a bit more complicated for, for clients that are that are divorcing or separating at, at that stage of their lives. And this is this is a bit of a generalization, but once people are in that stage of their lives, they tend to have accumulated um, assets or other forms of property or pensions from a financial perspective but also those those children that they have had and actually untangling the arrangements that they have made through their partnership through their marriage can be a bit more tricky um, it can be a bit more straightforward for example if you have met you stay together for a few years, you have one house that you divide in two and you go your separate ways. Actually untangling years of interdependence from a financial and an emotional perspective can be a bit more tricky. Um, that's where the difficulty comes in. It's not um, too difficult to, to, to do, you know, it's not an insurmountable problem, but it requires a bit more careful thought. Um, I think just going back to a point that, that Maggie made about um, feeling that your entire life has, has fallen in, um, that has an impact from a financial and practical perspective as well. Um, so for a couple where one person, let's say, took primary responsibility for the finances, knowing that you are separating and divorcing, 
and you are going to have to give the other person 50% or however much percent of the asset can be very difficult. It's that loss of financial control and the loss of the role that you played for a very significant period of your life. On the other side, the flip side, if you've been in a relationship where someone else has always taken responsibility for finances, for organizing your um, insurance, your home insurance, your car insurance, actually having to do those things yourself can be very, very difficult. Thank you, Sarah. I, I appreciate that. I think everything you say will resonate with so many people. Now, I know you slightly ducked the question, Sarah. I'm going to come on to you, Emma, and I'm going to, I'm going to put it out there again. Oh, we are talking about later life. We are. So I'm going to put it to you again. For the mature client, and you, you may or may not put an age on it, but for that mature client later on in their life, and if we're looking at a different stage, as Sarah did quite rightly set out, some of the mature client I'm talking about, potentially somebody who's planning for retirement, so they, you know, they, they think they know what's going to happen next. And again, as I said before, they're hit with a divorce. And all of a sudden, pensions, income, assets, as Sarah has said, get divided, get split in some way, shape or form. So they thought they knew where they were going to be during retirement and now they don't. So, Emma, what would you categorize? How would you categorize this? And what should these people be doing now? Their world has changed to protect themselves from your point of view. So, I mean, I would... I think it is difficult to put an actual age on it. I would agree with that. But I do also think that it is people, generally speaking, that have got retirement in their sights. So, I mean, it might be, you know, five or 10 years off, but it's still at some point in those next few years or so. Um, and I think the difficulty that people have when they've just been through a huge change like this is, is like we've just been saying, everything is different. So, what they need to do is, is reassess where they are. So look at what the finances are now, look at what they've got now and start from there, start from scratch effectively. And things like putting into place a power of attorney and a, and a well-drafted will and just making those provisions as to what your life is you know, post-divorce, um, it, it, it's all part of planning for that future. And making sure that you've got those things in place um, that are gonna that are gonna benefit the, the right people for you. So it's I, I think it is difficult to put an age on it, but it's it is also those people who are within that category of, of looking forward to that later stage of life. That's helpful, and and, and the answers you've both given really do they do resonate in the sense that, as you say, Sarah. It depends where you are on your age and stage. And, and personally, I'm quite happy you haven't categorised it because I was worried about where I would fall in it. Um, <laughs> but anyway, so thank you for that. Maggie, let's look at this from a slightly different angle now. If we're talking about a mature client, so somebody who's got grown-up children, let's say, those grown-up children have more of a voice, perhaps, than sometimes in a relationship where there are younger children. And those grown-up children, for, for good reason, may be quite anti a divorce and they might actually and they might not mean to but they might actually put pressure on a parent or an individual who wants to come out of the marriage needs to come out of the marriage but older children and I know this can happen with younger children too but let's talk about older children could say no I don't need to do that, that that's not going to work that's not going to make me happy and I don't think it's the right thing for you so this person feels trapped how would you advise that person Maggie 
That is such a, I mean, it's such an important question. It's such a tough question, I have to say. So just as a very quick aside, you know, more often I found it's the opposite where where adult children have been really protective of the parent that they feel is beleaguered, is trapped in the marriage, in an unhappy marriage, and have been really supportive of and cajoling and, 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 and may even have persuaded them to, you know, to come and see me or to consult me. Um, uh, you know, as a pathway to help them en route out of the marriage. Um, however, I must come back and address your your question. And and I guess communication is going to be really important here, isn't it? And you know, and ideally, sit down with those adult children, um, allow them to feel heard, that they can express their point of view, but also make sure that they know that you need that to be heard too. We we can support our clients in in being heard but for the individual in that situation who's looking for their marriage to end looking to escape potentially an unhappy marriage that they've stayed in for the children um talk with your adult children they are adults and they also have a responsibility to respect your wishes and sometimes what can get in the way of that will be their anxiety about the future, will be their anxiety that there will be a rift that will become a chasm, it will be their anxiety about how will they manage relationships with, with you and, and, and your to-be ex-partner when, when you are grandparents. It may well be that your adult children are worrying into the future and almost looking at what's going to happen next. What will be the consequences of this beyond this very moment? Um, and, and the vision they had of Christmases with both grandparents, um, the visions they had of you, of you playing a part in childcare. It, crucially, sit down and talk it through. Perhaps don't even try and get it all out in one go. Have a, have a series of discussions where, where each of you can just begin to talk about how you feel. Uh, and you can be clear as the individual who's looking for your relationship to to come to a legal conclusion. You can have the opportunity to both hear their concerns and and talk about your feelings in this. The other thing I would say is, if you can if you can sense that you you are all really struggling with that, and that you cannot get beyond their fears. And it's actually almost getting quite antagonistic that there's friction. Please pause. You don't allow yourselves to continue to a point where there's an impasse because there can be a really significant potential of you fracturing as a family at that point. I would put up your hand and ask for help. Um, and whether you speak with your lawyer and see if, if you can get a recommendation or a referral through to somebody who does mediation, not in a situation where there are small children, but maybe as a facilitative process to enable discussion. Or indeed, you might well want to seek some counselling as a family um, in order to just help you each have a voice and to be able to air your concerns and thereby potentially to get beyond them. Having a voice, Maggie, everybody needs a voice, whoever you are, whether whether you are the child, the parent, whatever your role in the family, it's so crucial. Sarah, you know, as a family lawyer, what's your view of what Maggie has been saying? So I thought that was that that, that was really interesting, Maggie, and it fits in with my experience of, of, of families and adult children and the difficulties that, that can be had from having these discussions. Um, one of the things... I think that it is important, really, um, as you said, Maggie, is if if you seek professional advice, let's say from from a lawyer, 
I think the important thing is looking at options because it, it's not always about having to divorce. There can be other options available. You can separate informally without divorcing. There are options such as judicial separation. There are legal um, options available that actually might be the right thing for the family as a whole, but also might be the right legal or financial or planning option um, from a practical perspective. And I think for, for a lot of clients that fall into this category, they don't necessarily know the implications, emotional, practical, financial, um, or the options that are available to deal with those implications. And I, I think that's important. It's getting the right advice at the right time so that you can make an informed choice. Sarah, what a great thing to say on a podcast like this when we are talking about divorce. Actually, the right thing for you or your family might not be a divorce. I mean, how many people say that out loud, which is really helpful. Sarah, I want to stay with you about something else, actually, which is we've got Maggie on today, who is a psychologist. Now, I want you to talk to me, Sarah, as family lawyers, we find ourselves with that hat of needing to be a counsellor sometimes. That's not what we're qualified in. But all family lawyers, so they do that partly. What's your experience of that? And should we be doing it? Um, so, so I think you're, you're absolutely right, Zara. The, the nature of our work means that, that clients come to us when they are at a, at a low. Um, something has, has happened and they are trying to come to terms with it. I think it's very important that we don't play the role that actually somebody who's qualified and experienced should do. So it's really important that we introduce our clients to, to someone like Maggie, who actually has the, the skills and the expertise. But at the same time, we have to acknowledge that we are not advising them in a silo, in isolation. We are advising real life humans that have pasts and futures and actually that feeds into our advice. Um, and I think we have a duty to challenge our clients when they tell us what they actually want um, in order to talk about the implications of what it is they think they want so that they can make these informed decisions. And I think that's what a good family lawyer, that's what a good lawyer that deals with any personal issue does is to try to drill down to what it is that the client actually wants guidance on. Um, and very rarely is it, is it black and white. You know, life is various shades of grey. That's really helpful, Sarah. Emma, I want to come to you next. And going back to that theme of the older children uh, in a family, older children, when their parents are getting divorced, can be, and I'm not saying this is a criticism, but they can be concerned about their own personal financial position. They can be concerned about their inheritance, particularly, for example, if their parents were planning on doing early advances of inheritance, perhaps for tax reasons. And if there's a divorce, the parents might not do that. But also, if there's a divorce and one of the parties is moving in with somebody new and that person may have children, they're worried about their inheritance. And, you know, you can understand that. Emma. What can people do or how would you reassure families in that scenario? And what would your advice be? So that, that situation is is not uncommon. It's It's something that we see fairly frequently where People have been through this and then later on um, somebody um, enters a new relationship 
And the children are understandably quite concerned that the wealth that might have built up within the family could end up with any new partner. And that is a really, really common concern. So what you can do within um, a well-drafted will is actually protect assets. So make sure that if something was to happen to that person, that those assets that have been built up effectively from the first relationship, which a lot of people would then class as wanting to pass down to those children, um, are protected and they pass down that family line. And maybe only new assets or assets that have been built up latterly passed to maybe a new spouse or partner. Or sometimes in later life, what people want to do is just keep everything completely separate because those later relationships, people have built up their own wealth, they have built up their own assets, even if they've been depleted a little via, via divorce, um, they still do have their own um, their, their, their own assets that they wish to do things with. So it's it's even more important for somebody in that stage to look at things like drafting a will, because if you don't, you can end up with situations arising that you would not want to happen, particularly if somebody ends up getting remarried and all those assets from a first relationship end up passing to the new spouse. Emma, that's that's incredibly important. Yeah, Emma, more, more than once you've mentioned a well-drafted will. Tell us, you know, do, do you see a lot of... Isn't a will just a will at the end of the day? Does it need to be any more detailed? You know, if people have got basic affairs and they don't want to spend a lot of money um, setting something in place, you can see things on the internet, you could buy things off the shelf. Talk to me about that, a well-drafted will or not. What what, what really is the difference? Well, <laughs> um, if, if you go to some, if you go, if you, for example, if you come to somebody like us to have a will-drafted, we consider all the, all the issues around the edge. We don't just look at, what somebody's coming and saying that they want to do. We ask about personal circumstances. We ask about what level of assets people have. We ask about family. We try and understand a bit about the person that we're doing the work for, um, a bit like you would do in family when you talk about, um, you know, everything that's going on around the edges. Whereas if you went and, for example, did a, you know, you bought a package from a stationery supplier and you wrote your own will, um, you, you don't have the benefit of understanding what some of the things that you're putting down actually mean and how they might impact other people. So it, it's, it is important. And I think it becomes even more important as people's affairs become more complex. And in later life, that does tend to happen. But later on in life, when things have become um, you know, more complicated, they have children, they have new relationships, they might have a business, they might have assets abroad. They may have all these other things. It definitely needs somebody to look at it properly. Thank you. That's helpful clarification. Sarah, I want to come back to you. And again, I want to go back to this theme of older children. So as I said to Emma, older children being concerned about their inheritance, that is a key thing for some people. From a family law aspect, talk us through that. What have you seen? What can people do? Yeah, so so Zara, that it, it's very similar to to what Emma says about the importance of, of a will. What what we would say is, if that's a priority to you, for you and for them to protect them, um, then we would talk about something like a prenuptial agreement or a postnuptial agreement, um, and that that is really you know, what it says on the what it says on the tin. It's a it's a contract that you enter into when you are getting married. 
and it says that in the event we separate, we hope we will be together forever, but if we separate, this is what we're going to do. This is what we're going to do with our assets. And it actually works very well in a situation where you know what there is. So the pot is relatively finite. Um, so one of the difficulties of, of divorcing later in life is that there's no ability to refill the pot afterwards. So you're sort of stuck with what you get. Um, in the same way that that makes it an advantage, that brings an advantage if you're doing a pre or post-nuptial agreement, because actually there's a great deal of certainty as to what is in the pot, and you can divide that up with a degree of certainty. Um, so you can go into a relationship saying, we want it to last forever, but in the event it doesn't, I'm going to get this and you're going to get that, and we're going to treat each other with respect. We're not going to get into a contest and have a big fight. And actually that gives us certainty, that gives us um, an understanding and mutual respect, but it also gives certainty for our children um, from a previous relationship. Sarah, thank you so much for that. So many people will be interested in that point of view. Maggie, what do you think about what Sarah's saying there? Uh, so many thoughts and points have come into my mind while I was listening to Sarah and Emma. And, and, and the key theme that really struck me whilst listening to my colleagues' comments was you know, information's power, isn't it? When we've got the information at our fingertips, when we know what the options are, when we know, and I love the phrase of what's around the edge, looking at what's around the edges, when we've been able to explore that um, and know what we can and can't do, know what where the perimeters are, if indeed there are any, then actually that leaves us feeling much more in control. And from a psychological point of view, when we feel more in control, actually that's a real protection. It's like vitamin D when we're not getting enough sunshine or vitamin C when we're facing cold and flu season. Information leaves us feeling more in control. And it, it, you know, research shows it's a real protective buffer against becoming really anxious or becoming really depressed. Or indeed, if we start to feel our mood getting low, actually, if, we, if we've got some anchors or even a little life belt that we can hang on to from some of those facts that have been shared, then that can make a huge difference. And I was just thinking about your question of, you know, divorce in later life, adult children, adult children who potentially don't want that divorce to happen. Actually, if you and they were able to sit and, and explore some of the other options, um, legal separations, judicial separations, if you and they were able to understand what some of the wider potential um, arrangements could be financially, then you've got information that, that may actually free you to get, get beyond your fears. Um, and I think that this is a lovely example of, of, of how having a really good working relationship with one's colleagues in another field can mean that together, you know, quite literally the whole becomes the greater than the sum of its parts. Because what we know that we can do for our clients is, is bring them the best possible service. Because if it's not in our field of expertise, we know someone for whom it is in their field of expertise. And also having those colleagues mean that we've each got enough of an understanding so we know who to go to, who to recommend our clients to go to when they're struggling. And certainly when I'm working with people who I think I'm not sure if they're going to end up getting divorced, but actually sure as eggs are eggs, I want them to know what their rights are. I want that that some of those fears that they've got about custody and their children to be addressed. Um, I want for for the you know the, the clients at a later stage of life 
to be able to understand some of the almost the mechanics around the financial rules and the possibilities and to be liberated by knowing what what the different options are and that it doesn't have to just be divorce so you know for me that it as i say information really is power it really does offer a protective mechanism and helps somebody safeguard themselves helps an individual helps our clients safeguard themselves against their mood getting low and getting really anxious because they've got facts in front of them and and that makes a huge difference thank you maggie i couldn't agree with you more in the sense that information is power information gives you knowledge information gives you control and there's one thing that particularly sarah and i and my all our, all our colleagues uh, would say take advice even if you don't want to act on that advice, just take the advice. So you're going into or through any situation with your eyes wide open. And I think we would all say that's incredibly important. And in those, what you're talking about, Maggie, in terms of working together, you couldn't have uh, kind of identified Erwin Mitchell's mission statement more clearly. We want to constantly reach out to clients and communities, and we want to do that together with our contacts, our colleagues, our friends, our networks, to work together for people who need it. And talking about that, Emma, I've got one last question to put to you. We've been talking about this later life space, and um, Owen Mitchell obviously have a later life segment. Lots of people don't know what that is. Please, can you tell us? <laughs> so, so basically what that is, is just advice that is more tailored to people that are in that area of life. So it's all the things that we've been talking about today. It's things like um, attorneyships and deputyship arrangements, so where people have either appointed somebody as their attorney um, or they need to be an attorney for someone else so you know an elderly parent or something like that um, it's issues like moving into care homes um, these things do arise um, obviously later in life and there are all sorts of issues associated with that looking at things like care home fee contracts and types of care home and funding and all those sorts of things it's all the aspects that come with retirement so whether that be leading up to retirement actual retirement, planning tax-wise, mostly inheritance tax planning, how to mitigate it, and all the issues um, that, that, that come with um, having a greater number of assets at that time in life and what you want to do to protect them and make sure they are passed on to the right people and that your money ultimately lasts you for as long as you need it. Um, I think that would be a summary. I could talk about it a lot, Zara, but I think that would probably be a succinct summary of what Later Life is about. Thank you so much for that, Emma. Really helpful. And thank you to you all for joining me today on this panel and for everybody for listening. That's it for today. If you found this podcast interesting, then please do join us for our next episode. Until then, stay safe and well.